Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Scroobius Pip and this is the Distraction Pieces podcast. Hopefully you already know because you've already been tuning in and subscribing and showing us love. Big thanks for everyone that's kind of pushed us into the charts and done just, yeah, it's insane that we keep as an independent podcast that we're keeping up there. This is episode 24 um, and we, I always say at the beginning how great our guest is and how much of an honour it is. This week is easily our worst guest. Um, so there's that. Um, but that's because I'm so humble and such a wonderful, humble human being. It's me. I am I am the guest. I had a lot of people, I'll explain, I had a lot of people ask if I'd get someone on to interview me. Um, and I kind of had issue with that because I couldn't think of anyone I'd want to get on to interview me that I wouldn't want to actually interview anyway, if you know what I mean. If people suggested Dan Lesac, God damn, if I've got... Dan Lesac on. I want to talk to Dan Lesac about Dan Lesac, about about our career, about his career, about everything he did before we worked together, about his um, his solo record, his like when he produced the uh, produced the Kid A album, which is one of my f- favorite things he's produced. Um, his plans for the future, all sorts. So I wouldn't want him to just come on and ask me questions. Um, equally, people suggested Itch for some reason. Again, Itch is a, a great artist and musician. I'd, I'd, I'd want to talk to him about him. So basically, long story short, I decided to do it like an AQA, uh, AQA, uh, no, AMA, a- AMA, ask me anything. Yeah. Um, so I put a thing up on Facebook and I got all of you guys to ask questions and I'm going to go through them. But before we do that, I should get to the sponsors. The first sponsor as ever, it's Speech Development Records. That's my record label. Um, check us out. If you go to speechdevelopmentrecords.com, we have a web store, which is everything in there is for this month is 100% free to look at. Um, you can go there and look at anything you want absolutely free. If you want to p- p- buy anything, then we keep the prices as low as we can to make it affordable. We've got made up a fringe show for just £5 to download, which got five-star reviews and was sold out for all 19 nights of the run. Um, we've got, uh, you know, CDs, DVDs, T-shirts, everything. Could, Go there and have a look. Or go to screwyspip.co.uk and the web store is on there as well. But there's also like a, a game called Bash the Beard, which is free to play. Just the name alone should have you intrigued. Um, there's all sorts of good stuff there. So check that out. Our other sponsor, Onit. Now, Onit is a human optimizational website. I heard about them through the Joe Rogan podcast um, and I started buying and using their stuff. They sell a lot of fitness stuff. So these awesome kettlebells and and battle maces and all sorts of other stuff and and hemp force protein powder which I use as, as sometimes and shroom tech which is a really good thing if you're an exercise guy shroom tech it's it's basically a natural r- r- remedy that was used during the Beijing Olympics um, as not a steroid but a, a, a way of 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 enhancing your recovery time and all things like that. But but they also do the thing that I think is interesting to a more broad range of people is is nootropics and there's one called Alpha Brain and these are stuff. Um, Alpha Brain is basically meant to just kind of t- t- kind of go around your your brain, turn all the lights on, kind of making you sharper, quicker. It's meant to improve short-term and long-term memory. There's a lot of things. On the website, they've got a whole breakdown of tests they've done and things like that. So you can go in and analyse it yourself and decide it's all hokum or decide it's all great. So um, go and check them out. And for listening to the show, you can get 10% discount, which also supports the show. If you go to onit.com slash scroobiuspip, that's O-N-N-I-T dot com slash S-C-R-O-O-B-I-U-S-P-R-P. Um, yeah. 
that's our sponsors for this week. Um, and it, it really means a lot that you don't f- fast forward the sponsors, as some of you might have an urge to, because essentially you're getting this whole podcast each week for free and they're paying for you to get it for free. So it means a lot that you support is, is, is very much appreciated is what I'm saying. So I'll tell you how this is going to work. So I put this post up on Monday. Um, I'm recording this only a, f- a few days later, even though it will come out a week or so later. I put this post up and I said, look, um, ask me questions and I'll answer as many as I can. I got over 250 questions, I think it was. I then went through and liked the ones I think would be the most interesting on the podcast. So it kind of keeps them at the top. Like I like when I'm checking. So I'm now going to go through and answer as many as I can and we'll see how we get on. Um, I hope that's okay with everyone. Obviously, I won't get all of them in, but... Oh, I should leave a moment for the uh, the music to kick in. Let's go. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction. There we go. We are officially in the podcast now. So let's kick this off. I'm going to read the name of the person and the question, and then I'm going to answer in probably a rambly and nonsensical manner. Right, the first one is from a Queen Bee. Um, It says, question, tell me what you think about me. I buy my own diamonds and I buy my own rings. Only ring your celly when I'm feeling lonely. And when it's all over, please get up and leave. Um... Yeah, weird question to start with. I don't. It's hard to tell me tell you what I think about you because I don't know you. Um, I sound a bit boastful. I'm going to be honest. Um, you obviously earn well because you're buying diamonds and rings. I don't know why you'd buy a diamond separate to a diamond ring. Um, I guess necklaces. Um, you're only, you know, you sound a bit, you sound like a bit of a user, uh, if I'm being honest, that you only call my celly uh, when you're feeling lonely. And then you want me to just get, I mean, I'm all for independence um, of women and men, uh, sexually, career wise, emotionally, you know, it's fine. It's, you know, individual choice, but she sounds a bit harsh. Um, we've got actually got a second one. Uh, the next one is from also from Queen Bee. Um, it says, question. Uh, tell me how you feel about this. Try to control me, boy. You get dismissed. Um, pay my own fun. Oh, I pay my own bills. Always 50-50 in relationships. Now, uh, oh, no, sorry. I scroll on. Uh, the shoes on my feet, I've bought it. The clothes I'm wearing, I've bought it. The rock I'm rocking, because I depend on me. If I want the watch you're wearing, I'll buy it. The house I live in, I've bought it. The car... I'm driving, I've bought it, I depend on me. Um, Again, not really sure what the question is, despite, you know, I I know it's a question because you started with the word question. Um, Again, just sounds a bit boastful. Cool that you've you've been able to afford your own house. Economic, um, the economy is tough at the moment, so congratulations on the drive. Um, I don't know that if you wanted to buy my watch, you could... um, I'm quite stubborn. I wear two watches. Uh, uh, and if you're talking about the specific ones on my wrist, um, I don't know. I don't think I could could lose there because either I would tell you you can't have it, you know, quite fairly, 
I'd say no, you can't have it. Or you'd offer me so much that I'm I'm winning in this situation. I've charged you a million pounds for a Casio watch that I bought in Argos for like 50 quid if that. Um, so yeah, um, I hope that answers your question um, appropriately. So let's get on to the next one. Um, I've got a question here from Amy McFarlane. Do you think of yourself as Scroobius Pip or is that more like a superhero identity that you can step in and out of? Um, yeah, it, it, that's often, that's a good question because people often think Scroobius Pip's a stage name. I have hilarity when my actual name, you can, can, can f- find it on Wikipedia, it's easy. People will come, p- p- people I don't know will come up to me and address me by that name or send me a message addressing me by that name feeling it will give the impression that they know me better when in reality 90% of my mates and friends and family will know me as Pip um I used to work in HMV I worked in HMV for five or six years all my customer orders came into Scroobius Pip it wasn't a stage name I chose I took the name on um when I was doing street art I was painting on walls I was doing a lot of photography I've got a question in here somewhere about where the name came from I'll tell you that that now because that kind of lends into this um it's from an edward lear poem um about a creature called the scroobius pip that wakes up in the jungle and doesn't know what it is and it it goes with the fish for a bit and realizes it isn't a fish it it goes with the the lions and realizes it isn't a lion and then at the end um it realizes it is a scroobius pip it can it can be all of those things and or move in all of those circles but it's its own creature um so yeah, that's kind of of where I, I got that because at the time I didn't want to r- refine myself. I was doing street art, I was doing hip hop and spoken word and some film stuff and some photography stuff and all sorts of other things. And I kind of had that moment of going, right, I can be all these things. And that's kind of, that's always been the plan and and, and the way there. Um, it's also interesting because p- people assume that because it's referenced an Edward Lear poem, um, I'm well read or I'm an Edward Lear expert. I actually found the name in a book of cat names that was on the counter at HMV. Um, I was on the till scrolling through things and I found it in the book of cat names and, th- and that then made me, me look up the poem. But yeah, that's where I took that from. Let's move on to the next one. Darren Barkley. Hey, Pip. So even years later, I still believe Let From God To Man to be one of the most powerful pieces of music I've ever heard. Thank you very much. Um, I'd love to hear a little about the creative process. Did, did it start as a spoken word piece? Did any particular incident or mindset incense you to write it? How did the idea of the sample from Planet Telex come about? Thanks, man. Keep up the good work. That's a good one. Um... 90% of my stuff st- starts as spoken word, or whether I perform it as spoken word or not. In fact, all of it in that case. Um, you know, I write it as spoken word pieces. I I feel my only job in the creative process, at least at the start, was was lyrics. So, um, you know, I want to make sure that can stand on its own and not isn't just relying on the beats. So hopefully, as always the case, um, tends to be, when there is a beat and it's all, all all meshing together, it just takes it to a next a level. And, and Let For God's Man in particular, I wrote um, on the way back from, I was dr- driving back from a spoken word gig. It was really early on. Um, I'd gone to an open mic and it literally came from hearing someone either say curator or creator and thinking they'd said the other. And I just started to riff off the idea of, 
crossover of curator and creator. Um, and that's where the whole idea from Let For God's Man came. On that drive home, I wrote 90% of it um, out loud on my own in the car um, and got home and frantically had to type as much of it up as I could. Um, I had the idea of putting it over over Planet Atelix. Dan Lissac, who obviously made the beat, um, would always get annoyed because I'd come up with these, these song ideas and they'd always have huge samples in that is unusable. And he's a, a beat maker. He creates from scratch. It's kind of annoying for me to say, can you just cut this up, please? Uh, b- but early on, I got away with that or, or did, did that with uh, f- Fixed and with this one. Uh, and it was just that everything is broken line just felt um, really great for... for uh, a letter from God to man and I'm not referencing that 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 is the song I mean as a theme um so yeah that's that's how that came about next one James Joshua why did you re-record the vocal for thou shall always kill that's a really quick and easy one obviously in case you don't know in the song there's a little a reprise somewhere on the album version where I say I don't know why I'm recording recording this vocal um it was our first record the original vocal was recorded literally in my in my bedroom at my mum's house. Uh, we recorded the album at Yilla's studio. Um, he's he's a, f- a friend of ours and a great producer in his own right. And we wanted it all to like we wanted it to s- sound like an album uh, rather than a collection or compilation of songs. So we wanted all the vocals recorded, you know, in the same place around the same time and bring them all up to that standard. So that's why we did that. Um, I've just seen, <laughs> I've just seen an addition to this one. Actually, I've got a question from Dexy Sinclair. Of all the actors, why are the lyric "My name is Johnny Depp and I kill people"? Um, it could have been any actor. I'm just curious. And I saw there's a response on there from my mum, Jenny Mead, saying I'd add to that. Um, and did you think about how nervous? your mother was about that lyric which is funny because yeah I recorded that song I'll explain the lyric I I never normally explain it I kind of I think explaining a a lyrics is kind of a bad thing but this is a weird a one-off podcast so I think in general a lyric should be open to interpretation but um yeah I'll allow this one the the theme of that song I wanted to write a song about the excesses of celebrity and celebrity culture um, and how we're all really quick to judge people like um, Charlie Sheen or whoever and go they're crazy look they're acting outrageous Um, but I think the reality is or my theory at the time was the reality is their their lives are such a unique situation that it's hard to gauge any of this if 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 you work let's let's go with me i work i was working in h&v for years and to let off steam at the weekend or whenever i'd go out and get drunk or party or do do whatever if you're if you if you reach a point where that's your kind of even not partying but the kind of um euphoria you you get from that or the praise you get the praise you feel or the the i don't know i'm wording it, it really badly if that becomes your day-to-day then you probably have to go to more and more extremes to get those those feelings and get that a variation um obviously in the way i write i like to make examples by going to absolute extremes so i wrote about a serial 
a killer, the idea. I also did think it's kind of a perfect setup that if you're an actor that is in different parts of the world for small amounts of time, all you know, all around the year, it would be a good a way to be a serial killer and not get caught because you're not going to tie in a random street killing in Brazil and then another one in Africa two weeks later. Um, but I've thought for a long time about which actor to choose and I didn't want to choose someone that was kind of obvious, you know, a villain in general. Um, but I wanted to choose someone, as as said, as obscure and abstract an idea as it was, which often I come up with these ideas. Um, it's, you know, I, I wanted it to seem in some way plausible and I went through tons of actors and some felt too good. I came close to going with George Clooney because he was another one that kind of, I wanted someone huge that kind of anyone listening is going to know who this person is. Um, I wanted someone huge, but someone who has a bit of mystique and a bit of dark side. And and Johnny Depp seemed like a great one. He's always shied away from celebrity culture or the public eye um, as best he can. He's played dark characters. He's played light characters. But there's he's undeniably huge um, as a celebrity. So, yeah, that's kind of why I chose... Johnny Depp but in general it's all a comment on society and the the pedestals that we put celebrities on to then hold them up to the same standards as everyone else even though their lives are completely different I think a better example than there maybe is uh, a Justin Bieber and um and Miley Cyrus Uh, I never understand people getting so furious at these people because they're young kids who've been thrust into completely unimaginable situation to us i think anyone who at that age can suddenly have anything they want they're rich beyond their their wildest dreams they go out on stage or online or whatever and have thousands of millions of people praising them how would you expect someone to keep their head or their feet on the ground and their head firmly on their their shoulders it's completely unfair and unrealistic to judge to brutally judge people in completely different circumstances by our own circumstances um that's just my opinion on on that but yeah i i wrote that song and i played it to my my mum before the album came out and she was genuinely really concerned i was going to get sued because it's slander and all sorts of stuff like that saying it's 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 fiction it's a story it's a song i didn't want to ask a lawyer or anyone because i was like if they told me it couldn't i'd want to do it even more so that's why my mum's added a comment there um on that um, right, M- Michael Claridge, who are some of your comedy influences and why the heck fire have you not done stand-up? You must have considered it at some point. Um, I I see, it's weird that I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I see my, my Edinburgh Fringe show as kind of half-spoken word, half-stand-up. I wrote gags for that. If anyone who doesn't know, I'm, I'm, I am a a massive comedy fan and comedy n- nerd f- f- favourites. I mean, I've had Stuart Lee on the podcast. I think he's, as a writer, I don't think anyone is better than him. The way he constructs his comedy is absolutely beautiful and amazing. Um, other people I like, I've really enjoyed J- J- Joe Rogan, Doug Stanhope, Neil Hamburger, Brian G- Gittins, Brett Goldstein, Josie Long, um, 
Sarah Pascoe, who we're hopefully going to have on the show soon. This list could go on forever. Aziz Ansari, Andy Jeselnik, Tom Stade. Uh, there's loads. Tom Rosenthal, Chris Chris Ramsey. There's loads and loads of really good comedians. Um, and yeah, I like them. And when I was writing my Edinburgh Fringe show, that was the bit I was most nervous about. I'd, I knew the poems were were what they were, if you know what I mean. I knew... Essentially, I, uh, I'd been doing them a long time. I, I I was confident in them, but I'd written jokes in between, which obviously is not my area of, of experience. So I, I, when I did the first night, I was nervous about that, I guess. But it was great over that, that month to have comedians that I respect, people like Chris Ramsey and Brett Goldstein and numerous others coming up to me. In fact, Tim Key and Brett Goldstein had seen a few of, you know, a raw version of that um, a while ago and had recommended I take it to the Fringe. And they're people who I'm a massive fan of as comedians. So, yeah, it was kind of, of lovely to have their have them say that the, that the jokes were good. And obviously, you know, it went down down well every night. So that's that. I've I've never considered just doing stand up because. Again, it doesn't feel as if I'm qualified or my, you know, maybe it's a nerves thing. I've bottled it maybe, but it was more comfortable to do my thing with some comedy in there than just go, right, here's a stand-up set. But again, I do see it as kind of a crossover anyway. Colleen King. Colleen, Colleen, I don't know how to say names. Lyrics like those in Porter, do they have a basis in reality? Did you know someone who is institutionalized, institutional, institution, institutionalized, um, or have some experience of it, or did you just imagine how it might be? How much of your work has some sort of basis in experience, either personal or indirect experience, like hearing something on the news, and how much is positing ideas? Um, that was a good one to bring up because. Um, all my work is fiction and people don't realise that at all. Um, it's always been the way I've got one song, um, Cowboy, which is based on a true incident that happened to my n- nan and I wrote that as kind of a tribute. Um, it was a while after she'd passed away, but I always f- found that to be an inspirational story. Um, but yeah, in, ge- in general, I write fiction. People assume that you will see me or Stana or, or whatever uh, a, a, a real life and you know I draw from true experiences but I write fiction um, and part of the reason for that is I write about a lot of s- r- real serious and dark s- subjects so if I've experienced that or if someone close to me has experienced that I couldn't just write about it and then go right that's available for 69p on iTunes thank you very much for that that experience being put out there if you know what I mean so it'd feel cheap to do that so I instead prefer to write as yeah to write new stories and root them in my own experiences or or research there's certain ones I've 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 either interviewed people who have gone through these experiences or um I've gone in and sat in the library for the day and done research and looked into stuff so it can all come from any everywhere really but you know, particularly on the relationship ones, people assume it's about specific people. It never is. Um, 
I will take raw emotions from numerous relationships throughout my life from my teens to now and create one story and one fiction um so yeah that's that um right michael carey you almost always start the podcast with i'm a huge fan have you considered a guest that you don't like or agree with um I'm not a huge fan of myself, so there's that. Um, no, interesting question. Um, the first podcast was with a Russell Brand, and one of the real... Mo- I, I love Russell, but one of the real motivations on that was I don't agree with everything he says, but I agree with some things he says. So I wanted, and particularly at that point, either if, if Russell was being interviewed, either he was being sh- shouted down and trying to be discredited um, as an idiot of some sort, or he was being praised as the Messiah. And I wanted to do an interview with him where it was neither of those two, you know, we're having just open, honest discussions. And that's continued on. Um, essentially, my I'm far more motivated to talk to people I find exciting and inspirational and I'm a fan of than people I'm not a fan of. It's that... that thing of if you see me on twitter or instagram or any of these i try my best not to do unless it's just a joke and clearly joke i try my best not to to moan about people or slag people off i'd rather if there's a musician i hate i know that i've got a certain amount of followers and the amount of time i can spend expressing my hate for that musician i could be talking about Kate Tempest or or Young Fathers or B. Dolan or someone I'm a massive fan of and I'd rather spend that time yeah speaking about the positive I mean also I'm not I'm not a trained journalist a, a lot of people have asked if I'll do um political part parties um no I won't because because number one there are no political parties I support. I'm quite private about my political beliefs. Um, but number two, I'd try and do interviews I think I will do a good job of or I will get a unique um, interview and experience out of um, rather than just people who I could get on because it's it's topical. I try and, I don't know, I feel, I feel there are people who can do a better job of interviewing politically or, again, if there's someone I disagree with. There's not that many people I hate or disagree with and would want to have on to, to have it out and shame them. I'm not that that kind of guy, really. Um, so, yeah, hope that answers that question. Paul Hudson. It may be too personal, but I remember a line, you, you call that shit depression, I call it inspired. Did you ever suffer from depression? And if so, was it that? that brought you into poetry and a creative outlet for your negative thoughts again all fiction my friend um i draw from reality as said but you know i generally it's fiction i will say um as i mentioned on the riz ahmed podcast i think it was i think at times we i I think all emotions are important um i'm pleased in my life to have gone through emotions that at the time i may be didn't enjoy or didn't want to um i think we put a huge amount of pressure on achieving the emotion of happiness um above all else um i think there's tons of different emotions that are equally important and worthwhile achievement you know i can have stuff where i'm absolutely exhausted and i'm not saying i'm i'm 
you know, I'm not, at the end of it, I'm not sitting there smiling and happy, but I've got a sense of achievement. I know I've done something. Um, and yeah, I think, yeah. So I think a spectrum of emotions and experiences is important. Um, so I hope that kind of answers that. Kaylee Neild, do you tend to write more sober or under the influence? Um, I'd say everything I've ever ever written, I've written sober. Um, I don't sm- smoke weed. I don't do any drugs anymore. I'm not anti-weed. Um, uh, the main drug I'm anti is coke, I think. Um, do we get into the drug debate on the podcast? Why not? Um, yeah, I, I don't drink much anymore because, and again, not through any active decision or for any problems I just it doesn't appeal much anymore I don't know if I'm getting old I've always been quite old and boring in that way um I've done a fair few drugs over the years um and again they just all stopped appealing my thing with drugs um it's why I've never smoked cigarettes for example my thing with all drugs has always tried to be quite logical what are the perceived benefits of this drug um, and what are the risks or negatives? Um, so, a weed, I can see the benefits of whatever, a relaxation, opening your mind, or whatever you enjoy weed for, I can see the negatives. For me, they, it made me very unproductive um, and things like that. But, you know, that's that. Um, LSD or mushrooms or... or or any hallucinogens, I see the benefits. They can open your mind up, give you these crazy experiences. Um, but I can see the the downsides because they're they're dangerous. They can f- f- fuck you up uh, quite badly uh, mentally. So again, it's all it's it's weighing these things up and deciding what's best. With cigarettes, um, I didn't see what the positive was. It's the same with coffee actually again i'm not telling anyone else to do anything else you do what the fuck you want but um with cigarettes i didn't know what the benefit was the only real effect appears to be addiction and as similar with coffee people talk of coffee giving them a buzz it's clinically proven that coffee if you've never had coffee your first sip of coffee won't actually give you any energy coffee causes addiction and the addiction lowers your energy so when you then drink coffee you're then brought up to the level that you would have previously been at but it feels like a high and a rush and and so on and so forth again I'm not anti-coffee I just to be honest I I never tried that because the smell seemed awful and I hated the sweets like the chocolates that were coffee chocolates in the in, in, in roses or whatever um, and cigarettes were the same. I was like, right, I don't know what the benefit here is. The the only outcome appears to be addiction. Um, that, I don't get that. Um, and people say, oh, it, you know, do you ever feel, or, or it, it looks cool or whatever. Dude, it stopped being cool. It, it looks cool in black and white. It stopped being cool the second I saw a, a mother pushing a pram and pulling three kids along with a fag hanging out of her mouth um and i didn't go that is one cool lady um so yeah that's the things that even again this is going to stress people out i think but even going oh i've I've not gone around to coke yet even going to things like heroin which i don't do i've seen it tear people up i can still see 
that uh, there are positives and negatives and the negatives hugely outweigh the positives but I can see that there are positives and negatives I believe that when you take it it's a it's an escape I've not personally done it but I, you know it's an escape it's this it's a it's a downer I can see what people are, are, are weighing up I said I think logically everyone should see the negatives hugely outweigh the positives but with coke which is a drug I don't like at all. I've never, I've never personally taken it, but I'm really not a fan of it. I know a lot of people who who have taken it or take it, and it's the only drug where I can be with someone that I absolutely love and adore. And literally every time, I find them to be absolutely insufferable. Um, and there'll be a lot of people listening to this and wanting to defend it. And again, it's cool. I'm not telling anyone what to do I'm just saying I personally don't want to be around you if you're on coke because I think it's a a shitty drug and from what I can see I I guess I guess it's unfair because I've never taken it but from what I can see so from if you're looking at all these drugs as an outsider observing before I decide to to try anything my observations from outside of every drug I see the positive effects and I see the negative effects and with cocaine the effects seems to just be it turns you into an insufferable prick but you don't notice that um and the negative effects obviously are health and everything else wise so yeah I, I didn't see what the positive effect was there I know this sounds like I've just raved and hyped up heroin is the best drug ever it's not what I'm saying at all if you listen to it clearly I'm saying I could see what the perceived positives are I feel they're outweighed by the negatives whereas with cocaine with c- cigarettes with coffee <laughs> again it's weird to put all them on the level i don't see I, I, I could never see the positive that made me want to take them <sighs> that was a big answer to a, a one sentence question but yeah for that reason um i only ever write s- sober john washbrook why did you and dan decide to call it a day when you create your best work together you know that's 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 opinion you know um I think we create, you know, I'm saying this as humbly as I can. I think we create great, great music together. But I think Dan's best piece of work is his production on a song by Kid A um, called um, Trampled Youth. I think it's absolutely amazing. Um, A lot of people know me most for a song called Introduction, which I didn't do with Dan. You know, I think if I was to list the bits of work I'm most proud of, there's no doubt, Stunner, you will see me, a, a letter from God, Thou Shout, The Beat That My Heart Skips, Sick Tonight, all of these are going to be on there, all work with Dan, but I don't agree that either of us are incapable of making stuff. I think, for example, Introduction is better than, let's pick a song, Back From Hell. I think that Let Em Come is better than The Beat. Again, it's all personal a taste though you may feel otherwise i think we're both capable of producing good stuff separately the reason we parted our ways was we'd always planned to make three albums um and that's sometimes you know that's quite an unrealistic goal so so the fact we got to achieve that is amazing particularly even more amazing that when we're releasing our third album we've got the biggest crowds we've ever had at festivals we've done the biggest tour we've ever had and sold the most tickets we've ever sold as an album it's got the best 
a reaction and had the biggest sales we've ever had how rare is it that you get to walk out kind of on top and feel proud of it we it felt for now at least and, and never say never I will say we don't have any plans to do anything together um in the future but again you know I never say never and so on and so forth um we did what we had to do you know I wouldn't want to do a fourth album where it feels strained and feels like a struggle and we're forcing it you know we we did a we released a body of work and did you know a, a huge number of live shows that I'm incredibly proud of and I'd rather walk away when and not tarnish that if that makes sense there's a lot of things I want to do um as a solo artist, I really enjoyed doing distraction pieces. I'm I'm as proud of a lot of distraction pieces as I am of anything that me and Dan have worked on. So I want to do more of that. And I wanted the chance to work with Danny Loner again and, and Travis Barker again and people who worked on, on the solo record distraction I, I should make it clear actually a lot of people might not know i might i got the name of this podcast from my solo album distraction pieces so i'm referencing a lot of things here i also wanted to to spend some more time on this podcast and there's a lot of stuff outside of music i want to do so yeah there was a lot of things that influenced that but it was all kind of hopefully as amicable as as it can be i've been talking to dan this morning just catching up um so yeah all good Scott D- Dalziel, probably pronouncing it wrong. What were your feelings and how surprised were you at the amount of people that turned up to see you at Latitude Festival in 2012 to hear and watch your spoken word? Was that a turning point in your career? I was blown away. Um, I'll quickly put in, I don't feel it was a turning point in my career as such. Um, it was just a realisation that not everyone knew every element of me. And let me explain that. Before that show, um, you know, me and Dan had headlined um, a Shepherd's... No, where did we headline? It was a big one. A Shepherd's Bush Empire, yeah. I think that's it. That's the one that's smaller than the Hammersmith Apollo, right? We'd, you know, we'd done some crazy big shows. We'd got to headline 2000 Trees and do things like that. And so, yeah, there was already a lot of, 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 of career there, so to claim it a turning point would be kind of unrealistic or arrogant that I think that a spoken word show I did on my own was the, the the moment. But it was something that made me forget that not everyone knew of my spoken word because I'd always kind of done spoken word along the way with what me and Dan did. And a lot of it crossed over. A lot of it, a lot of the stuff I end, the big ending to my spoken word set at Latitude was Letter From God To Man. It just it didn't have music. So... But it was latitude that made me realise that, hang on, all these spoken word gigs I still do here and there are all around London. So there's a whole lot of people who've only ever known the beat-driven stuff. So it did then inspire me to do a spoken word tour, which I did with, had had Kate Tempest and Polar Bear in support, so both amazing artists. Um, We did that and all, I think it was 13 13 shows with no days off, I think. All of them sold out and that then did inspire me to do the Edinburgh Fringe run, which again was a mind-blowing reaction. So yeah, it's hard to say it was a turning point, but it was one of my most, my greatest of memories just 
coming out. I was, I was watching the other spoken word acts from out front and I had to go backstage about 20 minutes before I went on to kind of just get things clear in my head. And it was a good few hundred people there. And I was like, this is crazy. For a Saturday night at a festival, Saturday night at like 10 or something, 11 maybe, at a festival when people could be off their faces listening to, to, to dance music somewhere or just in a field or around a fire. I was like, a few hundred is pretty cool. So I went backstage and then I walked out on stage and there was a few thousand there um, on a Saturday night at a festival just to listen to someone speak. And that few thousand stayed there for the full hour of my spoken word set. And that was mind blowing. So yeah, thank you for reminding me of that. That was a good time. Dean Reed, Scroob. Watching you develop has been really interesting. I'm working with Dan, the solo album, the radio show, the fringe show, and now the pod. Where do you want to be in five years? Um, I just want to be doing cool shit. Um, I've had a big realisation of that in recent years that I've always just tried to do interesting stuff. I never see anything as a career change because I've never seen anything as a specific career. It happens that the music is the thing that got has been has got the the most amount of success or attention I guess but you know within that I've always you know I've directed a lot of the videos I've I've acted in 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 little bits here and there me and Tom who I do a lot of the videos with Tom Cole's amazing the director who you should all check out um we've been doing a film that we've almost got a finished edit of um I do my film now I've always done the the label when the opportunity came about to do the the radio show that was an excellent opportunity and the podcast so it's kind of I never see it as I'm a musician and look at these different things I can do or get a chance to do it's more my job is trying to just keep doing cool shit that I that that if I if I knew I was going to get the chance to do 10 years ago my mind would be blown so yeah in five years time hopefully I'm still doing cool shit Jamie Aitken, would you ever shave your beer off? Maybe for charity. Disclaimer: I am in the process of fundraising for charity. I would sh- shave my beard off. Um, I will specify I would never ever do it for charity because I think that's just some bullshit. Um, when we, me and Tom and a few others, I, I've got issues with charity in general, and particularly in recent years. Um, the way charity has become, I don't know. I don't know. Or what it's become it's become a badge of honor now it's become a, a thing to sh- share on facebook it's you know it's become all the nominations and things like that it feels like the actual essence of charity has gone completely um and it also feels that there's a level of making people feel g- guilty for not engaging um in the particularly charitable thing you want to do or something like that which i think is absolutely awful and unforgivable charity should be a personal choice for me personally i think it should in general be a private choice um but yeah anyway i wouldn't shave my beard off for charity because fuck if i want to shave my beard off i'd just shave my 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 beard off it's only a beard there's probably a lot of questions on there about my beard and let's get to that right now it's just a beard i'm not into beards um i just happen to have one people send me a lot of stuff that's beard related as beards have got huge oh look at this it's about beards it's an article about beards don't really care um it's just something i've got you know i've also got hands uh, i've got two of them 
I've only got, got one beard. I've got hair on my head. Um, had that for years. For years I've had hair on my head. I've got eyebrows. I don't get that much stuff sent to me about people with eyebrows. Um, yeah, I don't really give a shit about having a beard. It's something that I chose to have before I was in any kind of public limelight or situation. I've had it since 2004. Five, I think this is the 10 year anniversary of my beard forget all that let's get s- celebrating beards um yeah I, it confuses me man I don't know why it's such a big deal to people and people get so excited about it um I've referenced it in two songs maybe and only like tiny bit in the songs I try not to talk about it much online because people assume that I'm really into beards and people will hit me up going hey man I've got a beard as if that means we should be friends so right congratulations i don't know (laughs) this is weird because it's essentially boiling down to the fact i hate beards yeah i've got a beard and i've had a beard for a long time but yeah no if i'd I'd shave it off if i chose to i cut a lot of it off in introduction and that was purely because i figured right i'm doing my first solo stuff since we've got any prominence it's a big change from what me and dan do um I don't expect everyone to like it. I expect there to be a certain amount of our fan base that are like, this is awful, but I'd like them all to hear it and make an opinion on it. So I had a £100 budget for that video and I figured, what can I do with £100 that will make pretty much every fan of Dan Lassac versus Scroobius Pip at least look at this video and make their mind up? And I figured, cut my beard off because um, word will spread on that. People will be, oh shit, there's this video, he cuts his beard off. And it happened that a lot of them liked the song and, it, and you know, it worked. But that was just a drop of the hat idea. It wasn't a big deal. If, As I've mentioned, I, I enjoy f- film and, and cinema. I'm definitely investigating a lot of avenues that I won't talk about j- j- just yet there. Um, if there was a role which I needed to shave my beard off for, I'd shave my beard off. I'd grow my beard back if I wanted to. Um, Yeah. So that's everything about my beard. Oh, I was going to mention, yeah, when we did the, uh, we did a mountain climb um, as a kind of an anti-Movember thing. Cause I I think the idea of doing stuff that is fucking day to day and doesn't mean anything and wanting people to sponsor you for it, Again, I'm cool with, you know, you do what you want, but don't expect me to be excited about that. It's like, I'm growing a moustache. Do you want to sponsor me? No, just grow. If you want to grow a moustache, grow a moustache. Just do that. That's that's fine. So we decided to climb a mountain instead because that's kind of seen as a bigger thing. And to be honest, now I wouldn't even do that for charity because I enjoyed that and I'd feel wrong taking money off people. So I'm... Like it feels like me thinking, right? Oh, what do I want to do at the weekend? I would really like to go to Battlesbridge Antique Market and have a look around. It's about a thirty-minute drive from me. It's always nice there on a weekend. I'd like to do that. Can you sponsor me? I'll do it for charity. So no, just do it if you want to do it. Don't. Yeah. So anyway, that's my thoughts on that this is pretty shaky podcast we're at 47 minutes already and i've hardly got through any of these we may have to do two um mildred hubble 
what about the poem the scroobius pip gripped you and how did it become your namesake as said i touched on this earlier it didn't um I, it did in the end but it i've heard about it through a cat book so i'm sorry for coming across as well educated um jacqueline catherby at the end of your song introduction you mentioned are you a schizophrenic i'm assuming this is true my son is there's more there it goes on but again it's fiction on that one in particular um a lot of people don't get that reference it's a quantum leap reference i talk about sam um sam beckett um from quantum leap and that was just putting forward the idea i speak from in 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 first person as sam beckett um the idea that imagine if quantum leap he is just schizophrenic and ziggy is in his head um al is in his head uh all the different characters and worlds he creates so yeah that was talking as sam sam beckett from quantum leap saying i'm 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 fucking schizophrenic ziggy says if i keep writing this shit there's an eight percent chance i can make it and pop it but al's an alcoholic and i'm a schizophrenic so al is an alcoholic and he he drinks like he's a hologram and ziggy is the one that's in that that calculator thing that's always saying there's a al types in them goes blip 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 ziggy says there's a 20 percent chance that 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 if you stop the bank robbery you'll leap and so on and so forth so that's that um but yeah on to the next one andrew chip bailey did not play in Redden and leeds last year annoy you i spoke to you at the northampton gig you mentioned that they gave you an initial offer and you were waiting to hear back did you just n- n- never hear back this is an interesting one because i've had some of my favorite gigs ever at Redden and leeds um and me and dan headlined a stage there one year and it was the first time we'd headlined a stage I think and we were up against a Rage Against Machine and we had a full tent and it was just mind-blowing. Rage had come back to the UK for the first time in years yet there was still a full tent worth of thousands of people who were up for seeing us instead which was amazing. I wasn't up for seeing us instead. I wanted to go and watch Rage but um, also uh, when uh, me and the band were touring distraction pieces uh, Redden and Leeds were my favorite gigs to the extent i mean we had a circle pit that filled the whole tent and it was rowdy as fuck um i broke i broke my ribs um i've broken them a few times stage diving and and getting too rowdy a one time i broke them on during a gig with dan where i walked off stage at a gig in switzerland i think it was and it was poorly lit backstage and i fell through and just broke my ribs but um i've broken them from stage diving and getting too rowdy in the crowd and on stage i like to go in the crowd that happens a bit and and red and Lees was a genuine clear highlight there but the reason it was a disappointment last year in general i'm fine with it we go where we're needed and where it's right at the right time but in general it was just a shame that that year because me and Dan knew that that was our last year of festivals and we've had some great memories at Redden and Leeds obviously you know I can't complain because because that year we got to to headline the left field at Glastonbury and you know had had Billy Bragg introducing us and uh, and as we come off stage telling us that it's the, the biggest crowd that had there in their 10 years the first stage dive that had there in their 10 years and things like that and we got to end at best of all which was just the warmest crowd and most amazing place ever see so, yeah, i genuinely can't complain and i'm not but the question being uh, were you or did that annoy you it didn't annoy me but it was a shame it, it would have been lovely 
Dan lives in Reading, so it would have been a lovely one to have a final a Reading and Leeds in our final festival run. Ryan Burns, I'm stuttering more when I'm on my own. I think. I think when there's a guest, I don't stutter as much. Ryan Burns, if you were Scottish, would you have voted yay or nay as a London, or would you vote for a London-like state, i.e. decentralised power throughout the whole UK? Um, I would have voted um, yes to independence. Um, Again, I'm not going to go into huge detail or rant anyone for right or wrong. I just think it was a rare, you know, that, that opportunity that doesn't happen very often. I think politically we are pretty f- fucked in the UK. I don't agree with the current political system. Therefore, any chance, any rare chance for genuine change, I would embrace. But again, there's great arguments either way. I'm not trying to have a fight with you. Um, Lewis John. Hi, Pip. On words, before tried tried dying, you speak about how a lot of your writing early on was influenced by a friend's suicide. I don't expect you to want to speak more about, but my question is rather aimed at what advice, if any, would you give to anyone struggling with depression? Is art an outlet for such emotions? Also, sorry for the longevity of this, which method of performance, spoken word or rapping do you feel is the best way of expressing your lyrics? Do you feel atmosphere at a club gig essentially negates a lot of the power of the words? Right. A big one, Lewis. Damn. And you've got two first names. Um, yeah, uh, all of my albums are dedicated to a guy called Jamie Knott, um, who was a friend of mine who uh, took his own life when we were a lot younger. Um, I, w- I won't go into huge de- 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 detail, but he was he was a great friend and an amazing dude. Um, he chose the time that he had to leave this world, and I now... I'm perfectly fine with that um, kind of um, mentally. I think the film that me and Tom have, have been working on kind of discusses this in some way, but there's a weird stigma on suicide. Um, and in reality, again, it's such a tough area and tough subject because it depends if you're of sound a body and mind and so on and so forth. But in reality, it shouldn't be a stigma to choose when you do or do not end your life if you don't if you're not religious and don't believe in in going to hell or whatever i don't know i i'm fine i'm at peace now with the idea of someone going right i'm done with this i'm kind of i'm happy with what i've done or i'm you know i'm done with this i'm gonna go now um yeah but anyway we're getting a bit deep and heavy now um him his life ending early. He was, he was the only other person that got Cannibal Ox Cold Vein when it came out, and the Science Super Crew album and stuff like that, and some real good hip hop and stuff like that that we that we are really connected on. So I always his passing motivated me to work hard to achieve the most of my life. It sounds over the top to say I wanted to achieve for two people. Um, that's not the case. It was more just it felt right. This is the kind of thing that I'd be I'd be bouncing off Jay or, you know, I would be maybe collaborating on or coming up with ideas together. And it felt I should work. I don't know. Yeah, I've I've just always seen it as really motivational. Um, I'm getting a bit tongue tied now. But um, yeah, it's why there's a dedication in every album, in my book, in my DVD. It's always all dedicated to Jay because... 
yeah, I don't know. It it gave me that extra push. It made me go, right, I can't fuck about. A, a life short. Um, am I happy with my lot at present as I'm sitting around getting stoned with my mates or whatever? Or do if I was to die tomorrow, would I be able to go cool? And at this point in my life, this isn't me saying I'm suicidal. <laughs> at this point in my life, I'd be more than happy if I, f- I found out I'm dying tomorrow. I feel I've... I've done some stuff I'm really proud of. There's tons tons more I want to do, but I think it was that motivation of losing a close friend that, um, yeah, that pushed me there. Oh, Jesus. Podcasts are emotional. Um, Mick O'Berry, which isn't my friend Mickey Berry of Stanfordly Hope fame, um, could Cyborg beat Ronda Rousey? Um let's get that question out of the way first there's a lot of you who won't care about this but i'm a massive mma fan i i i regularly do a, sh- a show on bt sport called F- fight and talk and R- ronda rousey just recently had her biggest test in in katzingano and smashed through it in less time than the restriction of instagram video she as she won her fight in 14 seconds she's absolutely amazing a lot of people who don't i i think Ronda Rousey is really important for mixed martial arts because a lot of people have previously, particularly in the UK, seen mixed martial arts as just big blokes in cages beating each other up. Ronda was the first one to come in again. And women's MMA, even more people are like, it's brutal. It's women beating each other up. It's disgusting. It she was an Olympic a medalist in judo. And there's there's a lot of people in mixed martial arts now who are former Olympians because it's an athletic and beautiful sport. I generally think it's just, yeah, it's, it's my favorite sport. It's overtaken football as my favorite sport, which is crazy because I'm a mill, I'm a lifelong Millwall fan. I still love football, but yeah, I think it's a beautiful sport. Um, and Ronda Rousey's a beast. Chris Cyborg is a weight class above, but she's a really muscly Brazilian lady who, has in the past been um, caught w- for taking steroids and there's a lot of suggestion that that's influenced her dominance. Um, I think Ronda is a league ab- above everyone, yeah. I think technique-wise, athleticism, sh- she's absolutely amazing. I think if Chris Cyborg drops down to to Ronda's a weight class, which would have to happen. It's insane for anyone to, to suggest a catch weight or her going up. Ronda Rousey is the biggest name in mixed martial arts now, really, certainly in women's mixed martial arts, but potentially in mixed martial arts in general. Um, yeah, I think if she dropped down, even her power advantage would be lessened. And I think when your base is something like judo and the technique is so tight and her, her ground game is amazing her arm bar against Kat Zingano it wasn't an arm bar position it was twisting it it was was knowing the mechanics of the arm and and knowing the pressure points of where I need to push and where I need to turn the th- thumb a lot of people don't realize an arm bar and just grab and pull the positioning of the th- thumb is hugely important to whether you're going to get a tap or not because yeah, I mean, if you put your arm out now, if you're pushing against your elbow, you, you can see that wherever your your thumb is, it change. I, I can't explain it on a podcast. I'm not prepared for this, but um, yeah, 
I think she's just amazing as an athlete and I think she would be able, her skill set, sorry, I didn't ex- explain that, her skill set being submissions and jujitsu, they b- b- are both great and have many ways of using someone's power against them. So I think it's a, a set-up skill set to, to take on Cyborg. Um, do, 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 do. How do you think, this is the same person, how do you think spoken word can become a more mainstream form of art? It's a delicious cake that some people just don't want to try. Um, I don't understand people's obsession with things being mainstream. The reason, I mean, my label slogan, I wrote my label slogan is we may not be for you and that's fine. I don't believe in underrated. Um, I think that's people throwing their toys out their pram and crying. Just not everything is for everyone. You know, if it grows and gets bigger, that that's great. If it doesn't, I'm fine with that. As long as it's, you know, the quality is maintaining high and the people who are into it are adoring it. That's, that's what counts. Um, on to the next one, Richard Sparks. Has anyone said no to doing the podcast and who? This is actually going out before the Rob the Bank podcast, which is in a couple of weeks. Um, and on that podcast, I tell you the one person that has said no to the podcast. And I'm going to hold off as a teaser. So hopefully you'll subscribe and uh, do all that kind of thing. This looks like a long one. Right. Alex Marsh. Hey, f- feel free to not answer this one i have no desire to open old wounds oh sounds heavy back when you were first starting out you hosted some of your poems on a poetry site that's true i can't remember the name of it but it was pretty cool most of those later became songs but there was one that did not it talked about an old friend yep that's again we're going on to a a jamie here it's called ode to a b-boy um it referenced i guess that's another one then that was based on a true story again there was some flexibility a few years a, a lady, a, you created a piece called A Hell of a Week on a BBC programme that sounded like it made a reference to the same old friend. Um, no, um, it didn't actually, but yeah. I, I, one of the first things I wrote was Ode to a B-Boy and that was a, 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 a tribute to my mate Jay, who I, I spoke about earlier. A Hell of a Week was a really interesting thing I was commissioned to write f- for BBC4 and I really enjoyed I I, I wanted to write it in that A War of the Worlds type way of making it all seem really real and it was essentially a retirement piece it was essentially a poem of me saying I'm done with this and I'm retiring and I intentionally laced in loads of references to things in previous songs that would therefore make it feel like it was real so there's there's references to lines from Thou Shall Always Kill um I called one of the people in the piece Stephen and one Jessica that bizarrely was a really discreet reference to the polar bear poem Jessica a polar bear's real name is Stephen so it's again it was just trying to as I knew people knew I knew polar bear and Stephen I don't know if Jessica's true in any way I don't know who Jessica's about if it's true if it's real but I wove all of this this stuff in for that exact reasons so that people will kind of go shit that's that's that and therefore it seems like if there's if there's so many clues it must be 
the real world, right? But that was a, a piece of fiction. I wrote a thing about retiring and it wasn't true. Um, I just wondered if those two were related. I kind of feel I may have, have overstepped the boundaries of an AMA here. S- sorry. No need to be sorry at all. There are no boundaries. It was a cool question and I got to explain how fucking clever I am when I write because I weave everything together like Stuart Lee. Barney Wayne. Who are were your favourite hardcore punk bands and who from that genre would you most like to interview on the podcast? Yeah, I grew up a, a, a loving punk and hardcore. Um, a minor Threat, it'd be amazing to get Ian on here uh, from, from Minor Threat and Fugazi. Um, I think my top ones, it's going to annoy some people, Tim Armstrong from Rancid, I'd love to speak to, to Tim or Lars Fredrickson either, um, huge fan of them. Billy Joe from Green Day. Green Day growing up were my favourite band. They really influenced me hugely as a human. I loved them. I know they're probably not cool or credible these days, but yeah, I'd love to talk to Billy. Um, who else do I listen to a lot? I used to listen to Offspring a lot. Again, on in Smash era, like 94, 95. Um, Gut a mouth, Operation Ivy. Um in fact, you've had the Frank Turner podcast last week, so you will have heard me, us both kind of going back to back and trying to outpunk each other. And there's also a song called, and me and Dan did a remix of the King Blues song, oh, What If Punk Never Happened. And if you listen to that, it essentially turned into who can list the most punk bands between me and Itch. So yeah, good fun. There's tons of people I'd love to have on it. As someone suggested... John Lydon at one point man I wouldn't know what to do that'd be tough because I think he's he again he is he was a a huge influence I love the Sex Pistols I don't know how I feel in general about John Lydon he's I I don't know it's interesting interesting let's try and get a few more we're only just over the hour mark we can get more Um, India Morgan has there ever been a time during your career that you feel like you've you've let yourself down in some way either by ignoring a fan at a gig or making something you feel or wasn't quite what you were trying to achieve i hope this isn't a rude question just interested um i don't know i don't put too much pressure on myself it kind of all is is what it is i just try and keep doing as i've said cool stuff and moving on i think in general at gigs you know as a lot of you a lot of you listening like in the thousands we will have met and chatted you know I, I i try to run the own the merch booth and to meet as many people as possible and quite a, a rudely really if i haven't got time to do that there's normally a good reason or i'm too too burnt out or whatever so no i don't feel particularly guilty about that i kind of i i don't know i know i'll do the best i can if it gets to a point where i can't i don't feel that that's the top priority anymore because there's other things I need to do to keep going on to do this to do that then yeah I'm not going to beat myself up over it man there's tons of stuff um musically I think I could have done better I never listened to any of of of, of my records I think every song I've ever played live is now is now better from playing it live than it was when we recorded it and things like that so everything develops but that's 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 motivational to keep to keep doing better and better sam patel um i recognize this this dude i think we talk on twitter a bit about mma and stuff um 
what's your favorite video game series wow that's a good question i love the ufc games but i won't go back into my mma rant um i loved the turtles arcade game I loved the Simpsons arcade game and I loved the X-Men arcade game. They were awesome. But if we're talking about series and game that I've given the most hours of my life to, there is no competition. It is Championship Manager. That game I've given hours to as a teen, I was proper addicted to it. And as a student, you know, in that kind of the, the college type years when you don't really have to go in all the time, I would sit up, I'd forget to eat. I'd play, you know, I'd play all day or I'd set up till f- it, I'd, it, it'd turn out it's 5am and I'm I'm still in the computer room downstairs at my mum's house just playing Championship Manager. Um, God, that's a good game and it's addictive. Paul Smith. I see so many kids that love being writers more than they love writing. I've always liked that line from Let Them Come. Could you talk a bit about the line and what it means to you? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, I think it's an interesting thing. I think this comes across in... This can apply in any industry. A lot of people like the idea of being something more than the actual day-to-day and the actual the physical act of, 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 of being that. I think there's a lot of people... And it's been it's been a me at points, I'd imagine, but a lot of people who love to be able to say, oh, I'm a spoken word artist, I'm a, a poet, a lot more than the actual act of writing and doing this stuff and putting in the legwork and hard work um to do it so yeah that's it speaks for itself uh, uh, really david bose hey pip long time listener first time caller do you think effort equals reward when it comes to creativity or is there something inbuilt you have to have or what advice would you give an amateur beat maker like myself in this industry also Thank you for bringing hip hop home. It's fascinating when you hear American rappers talk about their lives, which are so different. But hearing a guy doing something like that from the same bit of rock as me inspired me to pick up a drum machine. Cool man. Um, yeah, I think effort is is the biggest part. Um, I think there are even just within my circle of friends I've grown up with. I think there are people that are far more qualified, intelligent and capable than me at doing what I do, you know, or, or potential to have the potential to do what I do better. Um, I feel 90% of this industry and all this creative thing is actually doing it rather than talking about it. So, so rather than going, yeah, I want to be a rapper. Or I, I want to make beats. I want to do this, doing it is the biggest thing because that's what sets you apart from everyone who isn't doing it. (laughs) And when, you know, you can worry about setting yourself apart from everyone that is doing it when you get there. But if you sit there worrying about it and and you're not doing it, it's kind of, it's pointless. So yeah, that's my kind of view on that. I genuinely think so much is just bothering to actually do it. Dawn Burnett. Um, we're at one hour ten. Let me see how many we can get get in. I might do another one. I might do two of these. Hello there. I once worked on a book called Poems That Make Grown Men Cry. It was for the Charity Amnesty International. 
I'd love to know if there's a poem or spoken word performance that has really touched you in some way. G- genuinely interested, not trying to flog a book. Best wishes, Dawn. Um, I need to quickly, because she mentioned charity there, and I, sh- I was shitting on charity earlier. All of my views... Oh, just started to buzz. All of my views are flaky and whole-filled as fuck. There's certain charities I do support, you know, just because I say... I don't really like a lot of the idea of charity. That doesn't mean I won't every now and then post about a charity I'm genuinely passionate about or supporting. So I'm not saying that you're a piece of shit for doing charity stuff. Particularly not you, Dawn Burnett. Um, Yeah, poems that make grown men cry. I can think of two straight away. Um, I was watching a gig by a group called King's Will, um, which is fronted by M- M- Moose Rock Wonga, who I'm going to have to have on the podcast at one point. He's one of the most fascinating and amazing people I've ever known. Um, and they have a song called Passport. Um, and I think the performance that I was actually at is on YouTube. And I was stood there in tears with and looking around the room and seeing other people stood there in tears and I mean I'm not just like I'm, I mean genuinely real tears I didn't just, just I just well up I had wet cheeks and my beard got wet um it's just an amazing piece it's amazingly written and that performance in particular knowing that his mother and his sister and his brother in fact were all in the crowd um man it got me and there's another one there's a guy called rob alton who i talk about a lot he did a show called the sky show which was my highlight of the edinburgh fringe it was a free show i think he's a genius um he's a spoken word artist and comedian and he's just great a lot of his stuff is weird and odd and crazy but it's awesome and he ended with this poem over some music about steps not the band and i i wasn't in tears I, I then I was hiccuping um yeah and it just got me man and I think it's the, I, I think it's the genius of the, a genius of the craft of his show of how much how a lot of it is, is nonsensical that when he suddenly says some stuff that's kind of crazy and abstract but be, beautiful at the same time it really hits you so I've and I've seen that three times I think and and welled up every time so yeah I, I I'm I'm f- fine with crying i'm not a manly man at all ben lewis which city or festival has consistently been your favorite to perform in and why um it varies man a best of all again i'm 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 talking to rob the bank in a few weeks a best of all is consistently a favorite cities leads and manchester always battle for the most rowdy crowds had some of the most memorable gigs in london all over the place man next one ben addison was a waiting for the beat to kick in a full dream or was that more or was there more that you couldn't convey in a song or was it a fictional dream for that matter y'all know the answer now that was a fictional dream nathan fox top five comic books oh man um let's just let's let's reel off a few quickly the boys is my favorite of all time i love the boys uh preacher let's stick with ennis transmetropolitan the watchman obviously alan moore is a g and a genius um and then let's go for something marvel i would say 
Punisher Max series. I really enjoyed that. Um, so that's just five off the top of my head. I like a lot of stuff. I'm loving S- S- Saga. The Wicked and the Divine is Wicked and Divine. On, on Nightly News, actually, I need to put that in there. That blew my mind. That was the first time I'd really read anything by Hickman. And it was just the most intelligent and highbrow comic I've ever read. It hurt my head, but it was so amazing. Richard Franklin. Why did the beatdown end? Or was it a joint decision between you and XFM and not enough listeners taking up too much of your time? I really enjoyed it. It opened me up to a lot of spoken word stuff. I guess the podcast kind of a continuation in a slightly different form. You've nailed it, my friend. Um, yeah, the podcast was a continuation. It was kind of a joint thing, yeah. Um, the Beatdown, if anyone doesn't know, is a radio show I did on XFM for just over a year. Um, it was on at midnight. All of them were on Mixcloud, if you want to have a listen. Um, it was only an hour a week, but I put a lot of work and a lot of effort into it. And that paid off when we won a silver and a gold Sony award, which, you know, for a show that had only been on for a year at that point was kind of unheard of. Um, I The first few months I was doing it unpaid f- for free. Um, and then I was getting paid, but it was, you know, it was a small amount considering the amount of time I put in. So we got to a point where we'd done 68, I think, weeks in a row. And I said, look, I need a month off. I need to, to go and work on a record. Like I'd, I'd managed to keep up when I'm on tour and all sorts of stuff. And I was like, let's take a month and then I'll come back and we'll discuss where we are. Personally, I'd become more and more obsessed with podcasts. I love podcasts. I f- genuinely think it's the future. Um, so I was umming and erring and if I wanted to keep doing a radio show. The thing with a podcast is it's hard to put music on it. It costs money. Um, So yeah, I came back after that and XFM were a crisp, a a, a bald XFM who got me on is amazing and an absolute legend. I I love him um, with all my heart. And, And we sat down and we just had a real frank, honest chat. I said, look, I'm thinking a podcast might be the way. And he, he had spoken to heard a money man upstairs and I'd kind of said look we've not really got any extra money in our budget and I know he knew that I'd kind of said look we've just won a couple of awards it'd be cool if we had a little more a budget to play with so that I could dedicate more time to it and all that but yeah I came back and I said look I'm thinking a podcast could be the way and he's like look I've spoken to the people upstairs and they've said look there's not really any more money in the coffers so if you're if you're buzzed about a podcast, then this could be the perfect time to to part ways and keep the the beat down as this thing that we you know we're are really proud of, rather than drag it out and me not have as much time to put into it and things like that. So yeah, we kind of decided to call it a day, and that was that. But they're all on Mixcloud, and I'm crazy proud of them. Shout out to Dan Rido, who was who was my producer for all of that, and is absolutely amazing and was incredibly important to them shows being as good as they are kate west um so someone else may have asked this already but at what point did you realize that you could do this for a living and was it difficult to commit or did you just feel like a natural progression um i quit my job and decided this had to be a living i decided I'd, i'd saved up I'd worked in H&B for, for five years and about a year into that I stopped, and my friends will contest to this, I stopped going out. 
I stopped um, just spending um, money on stuff. I saved my money so I could afford to record my debut album. It took me probably four years of doing that. I'd buy a whole chicken at the beginning of the week and a loaf of bread and I'd make that last as my lunches uh, throughout the week. So I put, you know, I put some dedication in there so that I could go, right, I'm going to take a year off and dedicate that completely to music. Is that weird noise? Has has that been there all along? It probably has. Um, Yeah, I was like, I'm going to take a year off and dedicate myself completely to music. If at the end of that year it's not worked out, I'm going to go back and try and continue continue working in a record shop or whatever. And I'd be fine with that as well. You know, I enjoyed that job. You know, I think people put a weird praise and value on a musician or other art forms over stuff that's equally important. Um, and yeah, I did that. I lived, I lived in, I bought a 1987 space cruiser, a Toyota space cruiser. And I toured about the country just performing on street corners. And uh, I, I, I learned quite quick to perform, to get to each town and, and, and look at, w- at what bands were in town and going, if there was someone that fit like, I mean, who did I do? Mr. Scruff, DJ Shadow, Buck 65, Atmosphere. Go and perform outside their shows. You know, they're literally going to get your target audience from the area and literally line them up against a wall. So uh, I did that. I turned up. It was important to me to not ask for any money because I think you instantly put people on a weird position. If you're busking, there's instantly that kind of defensive thought of nah 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 go away I don't want to hear whereas if I'm just like look here's some extra music you're out for a gig this is a free free extra bit of music um enjoy it but here's details of how to find me on MySpace and if you want to know more you can so I did that for a year in that year um I re-met Dan Lassac who I'd previously worked with HMV put me on um he didn't know at the time, but he booked me for my first gig indoors. I hadn't really done any indoors at that point. It all been on street corners and shit. Um, and it was almost a year to the day that Thou Shall Always Kill came out and got in the top 40. So it was kind of, that was the right, I don't need to go back to work. This is this is is, is my living. And that was eight or nine years ago. So yeah, it's kind of cool. Um there's an, a, a, an another question on here somewhere which I noted, but it kind of goes on the, the same thing and it quotes a B. Dolan quote from the interview we did a while ago where he said he did a thing and someone asked, what a one piece of advice would you give people tr- trying to get into music? And he was his advice was quit. Because if that's in any way an option, then just get it out of the way now because that's what this, you know, this is hard work. And I had that... A similar thing. I put it into some uh, a lyrics on a song called Kickstart uh, that was like, I think it was only on the US release of, of the last album with Dan. And I'm annoyed I put it in there because in, in hindsight, I don't think that was a particularly strong song. I don't think I nailed it on that one. Um, I, I don't think it was our best. Um, but it was a lyric in that where it just saying, if, you, if you've got something to fall back on, then you'll probably, you'll probably fall back. And that was kind of how I was was living at that point I was like right this has to succeed I've not got a rich family you know I've not got all these things it's like this is it I need to work at this and make it happen so 
yeah, I did that, and that's how that went. On to the next question. We can fit a few more in. We're at, at one hour and 22. Let me scroll through, see if there's any really jumping out. Hang on. I'll just continue on, otherwise I'll forget. Elliot McCartney. I heard a rumour that Giacomo Brown is actually your brother. Is that true? Yes, it is true. He's my... He's my um, I'm a brother who actually I've referenced on the podcast a fair few times um, as with just some quotes and ideas because he's a very he he's got a degree in in, in philosophy um, yeah he's, he's he's very influential on me I think he's ten times as intelligent and switched on as I am everyone asked me to get him on the podcast we've talked about it I'm never sure if he's that keen he might do at some point um if you don't know who Giacomo Brown is, I released his album. Again, he's my brother, but I released his album on Speech of Element. I didn't make a deal of him being my brother because I didn't want to sell it off of that fact. It was an album. I, I didn't, in fact, I didn't release it because he was my brother. He, it was an album that I thought was absolutely amazing. And the fact I got the chance to release it was great. So I wanted to sell it off of its, its own merit. And I felt it would be cheapened in a way by going oh it's my brother check it out um so yeah we released that but he doesn't have any desire to be a musician he had these songs that in my opinion were awesome and you know they got great reviews there's weird stuff going on with this mic um yeah they ended up getting a, a great reviews and generally just going down hugely but he's he works in the library he's he, he doesn't play live um he, i think he's done two live gigs he didn't see the appeal his again his philosophy and everything else he's got isn't driven towards a being a pop star of some sort so yeah he's not into that and that's why i'm not sure if he'll be on the on the podcast or not at any point but we shall see but yeah that's true gerard brennan Loved your point on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast about defining yourself as a poet being a potentially a negative thing in most circles, but any plans to publish your work as poetry or are you more interested in the performance aspect? Well, Gerard, my friend, it's already published, dude. Head to, you've clearly not been listening to the sponsors at the beginning telling you to go to Speech Development Records. Yeah, I had a book out in 2010 called Poetry in Emotion, um... It was in Amazon's top 10 sellers of graphic novels that year because it's actually an illustrated book of poems. I worked with a load of different poets, a load of different poets, a load of different artists um, who were all fans. I organised it through Twitter and MySpace at the time. Um, And I got tons of people to illustrate a poem each, a poem of mine each, and just interpret it in their own way. And then I started to put them together and they were amazing. And I hit up Titan, who are amazing uh, a graphic novel and, and comic publishers who did The Watchmen and loads of other good stuff and The Boys um, hit them up and they were like, damn, these are really good. And they were were up for, up for releasing it, which was an honour. Um, and yeah, that's where it is. Right, let's try and smash through a few more. We can go over 90 minutes. All right, you're not going to get pissed off. Suresh Rose. Hey, Pip, my question is this. Of all the amazing things you've done in your career, what has been the one thing that you thought, nope, can't do that, too scary? And how did you find the courage to get 
it done anyway. I don't really have much of that. I don't know. Um, I'm not that scared of much. Um, it's always exciting. I get to do cool, exciting shit, you know? So despite the fact there might be a big crowd there or, or whatever, there's kind of a, a buzz of like, man, this is awesome. I'm getting to do this. Um, I guess that, that may come from those first gigs or when I quit my job and was doing gigs outside. I remember, yeah, actually, that would I would be it. It pretty much stopped at the first one. I did... I had my mate Chris, who runs Redshift Rebels, previous sponsors of the Beatdown. The Beatdown? <laughs> Distraction Pieces. Um, he, he, he was with me, and I had my amps and everything, and I was like, right. I was outside a DJ Shadow. It was an album preview thing or playback he was doing with fans. And I was like, right. I've got to perform now. And I was bottling it, and I was really nervous. And he kind of said, it's time, like, go. Like, he didn't put too, uh, too much pressure on, but, you know, he made it clear it, it's time to do this. So um, I did it. And ever since then, when there's a gig where people are actually there to see me perform or there's a roof over my head or any of that, it seems easy in comparison. So, yeah, that's that. Uh, Marcus Malone, if you were offered... In fact, this is a good one to end it on. And we'll do another one. I'm going to record another one straight after this. It's going to be a two-part. I don't know when we'll put the other one out. I don't know what number we'll call it or anything, but we'll put it out at some point. It might be this week. It might be in two weeks. It might be on a random Sunday. The only way to catch it and, and know about it distinctly would be to subscribe and click automatic download. If it's on iTunes, you can go subscribe and you can cl- cl- click in the settings bit of automatic download. So... All joking aside, please do that because it really helps us with our download figures and helps us climb the charts and so on and so forth. So that'd be cool if you were up for that. But yeah, um, that's 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 something to do. Let's get the last question. Marcus Malone, if you were offered £5 million to quit music altogether, would you do it? Fuck yes. Yeah, I definitely would. There's so many things outside of music and all that that I want to do. Um I've not really talked about this, but I see my next solo record as being my last album. And, you know, it's it's, it's why I'm taking this year from touring because I want to come back with that record. If it is going to be my last, I want it to be my best. And I want to tour the hardest to promote it and see and get in front of as many of you as possible when doing that. Um, you know, I've already, in the last eight years, this year is the first year I'm doing less than 100 shows a year and most years it's closer to 200 or over 200. So, yeah, I'm kind of on that. That I'm a, a dude from Essex um, who's lived in the same town his whole life um, and I've so far done five albums of material of me just talking <laughs> And I'm not arrogant enough to think I'm going to have interesting shit to say forever. So I don't like the fact that you can get into a cycle. It's why I've taken this year off as well from touring. I'm doing tons of other shit. I don't like when people get in the cycle of album tour, album tour, and you're recording an album because that's what you're meant to do rather than because you've got so much to say and so much to get out there. You're doing it because that's what you're meant to do and that's how you earn your living. And... The brutal fact is, if I release an album, 
I will make a certain amount of money from it. Even if it's shit, there's a certain amount of people who will buy it. And when I tour, there's a certain amount of people who will come regardless of the quality. Um, so yeah, um, that's kind of that. I've just got a text off B Dolan. So I'm going to have to stop this, this shortly and go and talk to him. Um, what was I saying? Yeah. So if, if I got offered a 5 million to quit music, yeah, because there's so much stuff. I mean, I could r- release so many great records like the B. Dolan album, which is coming out this year, hopefully in July. Um, I could promote so much stuff. I could do so much stuff f- film-wise, you know, all sorts of art and podcasts and pr- uh, productions. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd have a, a a load of money to create and inspire a load of cool new things. Um, so, yeah. That's that. That's the end of this week's podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Um, please subscribe, as I mentioned. That really genuinely helps us um, climb up the charts and helps us keep it fr- it free. So it means a lot to us if you subscribe. And as this kind of this March madness thing is going on, we're going to be probably doing two podcasts a week for all of March. Um which is crazy because that's a lot. So if you're subscribed, you'll be getting them on point and on time. So please do that and spread the word. A word of mouth is absolutely key for us, man. We we, we don't have any advertising budgets. We get tons of people who say, I don't normally listen to podcasts, but I enjoyed this or I enjoyed that. Then spread the word to other people who don't normally listen to podcasts or to those who do listen to podcasts. Um, if you enjoyed this and this is the first Oh, one you've listened to. Man, we've had some good guests. I'd recommend you check out the Russell Brand one, the Killer Mike one. The Killer Mike one's amazing. He speaks so articulately and beautifully on the things going on in America politically and socially at the moment. It's fantastic. I'd recommend the fullfacts.org one. It's a fascinating one, a fullfacts.org. I mean, obviously, you can, can can look at the list of names and see there's a lot of celebrities. There's, there's Simon Pegg, there's Zane Lowe, there's Sage Francis, there's, a lot, there's Alan Moore, there's a lot of cool people, but... There's also things like fullfact.org who um, are a fact-checking a ch- a website and they fact-check a lot of the, st- the posts that you see on Facebook from a UKIP-type supporting parties or they also fact-check stuff that are, is in court, is in the Houses of Parliament and they make sure it's all right and they show a, a where it's wrong and it's hugely important. So that's a really interesting one. But there's loads that you should check out. So check them all out and I will see you again in a week. This has been the Distraction Pieces podcast. See you later. You've been listening to Scroobish Pits, the Scratch Pieces.